1: Do you ever wonder what your business would be like if your employees got along and they didn't bring all the drama to the workplace? To answer that question, Cy Wakeman, Cy, this is a killer question because uh, this is such a big problem. It, It almost sounds like we're talking about teenagers and siblings.
2: You know, and in some way we are talking about employees who don't evolve mentally past that age of adolescence where... They really um, come to work focused on scorekeeping, tattling, gossiping, comparison, venting, judging. It's a crazy cost to businesses um, today.
1: This isn't just workplace. I mean, this is the whole United States, and I think it's being made worse by social media.
2: It really, well, it's being made worse by what we bring to social media. Social media itself, when used in a higher level of consciousness, is a profound connector. So it's not about the vehicle, but it certainly is the way we are showing up, both at work and at home.
1: Well, it certainly gives a medium to people who, uh, you know, want to do all this, like, show me, look at me, you know, Kind of behavior so first of all so what does all this mean what is drama you're an expert in drama and I am on the, road so I, to the audience. I'm a,
2: a drama researcher in in I research how much drama there is in the workplace and we define drama as emotional waste emotional expense any behavior or even thought process that takes away from Um, happiness and results at work. So drama can be anything from, you know, venting, tattling, scorekeeping, resisting change, withholding buy-in, believing that it's your employer's job to engage you. It's any time that an individual's in low self and victim-minded and placing the responsibility of their success and happiness on external circumstances. And we've been able to quantify this two and a half hours per person per day, 816 hours per year, per headcount per person that is in complete waste in the workplace. It's energy you can upcycle and put back into results and engagement at work. It's a huge opportunity.
1: So you're, so you're saying that something like a third yeah. of all the time that, that people spend at work, a third of the payroll, the company pay the is just flying out the window.
2: It is. It's only only time that people are less productive. It's a time that they spend feeling miserable and making other people around them miserable. So it's not that they're not working hard, but they're working hard like with a grudge. It's people walking around going, this is sick and wrong. This is no way to run an organization. I should be consulted. I shouldn't be asked to do things I wasn't given decision-making power over. It's just the the way of approaching the world that makes it harder than it ever needs to be.
1: I mean, is this like a victim mentality kind of thing, or, or is this something different than that?
2: It's, it's definitely a victim mentality, and we've been able to quantify it, and a lot of people think it's just a cost of doing business, and it's a, a huge missed opportunity, because if drama is emotional waste, the way we get rid of waste in a workplace is with a good process. So the way to get rid of emotional waste is with a good mental process. And I really believe the role of a leader isn't about inspiring or motivating others. I think it is teaching people good mental processes so that they can move through life more skillfully. And when I was a therapist promoted to a leader, I was shocked at how many employees and leaders approach the world with really poor mental processes seeing the world through the lens of their own ego, that they are a victim and everybody else is a villain. And the reason they can't succeed is their circumstances. And it's really, it's a lack of accountability and a lack of self-reflection and a lack of like good mental processes.
1: You know, this mental process thing, I mean, it, it that seems like it falls in the category of what therapists do, not what leaders do.
2: Well, and and therein lies the problem because what therapists do is after people have crashed their cars and they're down in the dumps, we teach them ways to um, see the world more accurately and use better mental processes. But what I've found is the role of a leader is I can help you do that on the daily and it can connect you into, you know, joy and misery. So for instance, when I would get together with my team as a leader I started to realize they had two issues. One, they didn't know how their own mind works. And so they kept getting played by their own ego. They would believe everything they thought. So they would somebody would walk down the hall and they would think, oh, they didn't say hello to me. They think that ever since they got the promotion, they're better than I am. And they wouldn't realize that the ego loves certainty over accuracy and they believe their thinking. And then they would treat that person rudely and it would just be off and running. So I had to teach people how their mind works. And then I had to teach people how the world works. And that's what leadership is to me because most people didn't understand how their mind works. They would believe their own thinking without question. And they didn't understand how the world works. And the world really works with um, some very set principles. Happiness, it's a choice. It is not about your conditions. It's about your accountability level. Suffering is completely optional and most often self-imposed. Like once they started to figure out how their mind works and how the world works, they were able to move very skillfully with little drama and little waste through really tough, complex situations. And it made them members of a dream team almost instantly it wasn't years of development it wasn't years of of classes and interning and apprenticing it was minutes of taking somebody from one place which is low self to a high level of consciousness to see their life differently and then act on their world differently
1: you know listen we know each other a long time so don't take these questions that i'm going to ask you because uh, <laughs> i i just look at this in such a different way I, you know and maybe with not enough patience. But, I mean, I think about all the situations I've been in over many years, and the things that you're talking about uh, seem like they're things that people should be learning in elementary school and, and, in, and in their life. And, you know, I mean, you're talking about people coming and you're, you're teaching them life skills. Now, I mean, maybe some people need a little bit of course correction along the way, but it just seems like what you're talking about is so basic. I mean, and, and, and it, how, how do you stay patient with people that, have these basic problems?
2: Well, I think first of all, we have to not separate them out from ourselves because everybody has this human condition and, you know, just like you must walk around frustrated that people don't understand money and how money works. Like that seems so basic, right?
1: Well, that, it, that I, that I get, that's an intellectual thing. I get that, you know, and some people have training in it and some people are afraid of it. I, I get that. This, this just seems like I don't know, we teach our children when they're 10 years old to get along with one another. That's what elementary school is about is, you know, don't, you know use your words, don't use your fists, you know, I mean, yeah. keep your hands to yourself. I mean, there's basic things that happen. Yeah. And, and if it
2: weren't that easy, we'd be in a whole different... Place. I mean, we'd have statesmanship in our, um, you know, Congress today. Well, I
1: guess that's kind of where it comes from. Is our leaders aren't setting good examples? Let's go back
2: to parenting and leading because most leaders and parents collude with their kid. They sympathize with them rather than empathize. So, let me give you an example um, that can be at work or at home. So, I have eight sons. One of my sons calls me up and they're like, "Mom, I forgot my backpack at school today. Will you go get it for me?" And the average parent would go get that kid's backpack because you know, we got to help our kids out (laughs) and I approach it very differently. They call me up and they go, mom, I forgot my backpack and um, I need it in school today. My math homework's in there. I give them empathy. I go, Oh my gosh, that is a bummer. It is tricky. Um, I know when I'm at work, it's tricky to get through a day without, you know, the stuff I need. I hate those days. I forgot to bring what I need. How are you going to approach today? (laughs) Now every other parent would be home getting the backpack and my son is like, mom, stop all that. If I don't turn my math homework in, I'll stay after school, I'll miss basketball practice. I won't be able to start on Saturday's game. And then the parent will be like, Oh my gosh, I don't want to be the reason my kid didn't start on Saturday. They would go get the backpack. Not me. I'm just like, well, then let's talk about how you're going to have a mature conversation with your coach you know, I'm in Washington DC. I'm not going to get your backpack. And he's like, well, mom, will you pay Uber? And will you give them the garage code to go in and get my backpack? <laughs> and I know my job as a parent and a leader is to steer away from me fixing this thing to me growing you. And so I said, I'm not going to get your backpack. Let's talk about how you can get through your day successfully without your backpack. And he says, well, according to you, I would need to redo my math homework and study hall and I shouldn't have to do my math homework twice. And I'm like, sounds like you have a great plan to redo your math homework and study hall. Have a great day. Now the whole way I led that kid through that was helping him grow and develop, but not protecting him from his natural consequences. Cause this kid doesn't have a memory problem. He's never forgotten his phone. He, he, <laughs> is like, he just didn't mind his homework. Now, it's not being a mean mom, and it's not being a mean leader, but most people have been taught in leadership that our job is to sympathize and go fix and make life easier for our, our employees. When if we want innovation, collaboration, resilience, we've got to develop our employees and the people around us to grow into and get skilled up for these tough circumstances. So I think while it's basic, there are so many forces that have led us to over-rotate on engaging employees and engagement without accountability creates entitlement, And that's where we're at right now is we have a lot of people mad at their organizations because their organizations don't provide enough for them to be happy instead of understanding that partnership that needs to happen. I don't know if that makes sense, but it's basic. Uh, I, but um,
1: I, I love the parenting example. Yeah. Uh, because I parent the same way, a little bit of tough love, you know, you want to stretch people, not break them. You know, you want to push exactly. them to the edge, but you want to hurt them. So, you know, I think what you did with your son, fantastic, but it feels a little different to me in the workplace because uh, an employee calls up, uh, I made some mistakes, something happened. And, and, you know, now the consequence is not him going to study hall and having to do his homework twice, which he doesn't feel like doing because he wants to be with his friends. Now it actually affects me because that mistake that that employee made has something to do with me. So I, I see it a little bit differently. How do you do it in the workplace? Because the great example at home, but, but what about at work?
2: Well, in, in that home example, that would affect me when all those parents are wondering why with the college scouts in the room, Wakeman's not starting.
1: And <laughs> they're
2: like, well, this is the weekend his mom chose to teach him about accountability. But I would, I would tell you that it is an ego story that I've got to take extreme metrics and bypass the growth of my people because this I'll take the hit of this. What you're going to take the hit of is an incapable employee working for you from now on. Let me give an example. I was leading nurses in a surgical area and a nurse showed up for her first shift of the day. She goes in, she's preparing the patient for surgery, going through like a checklist. And while she's doing that, the patient becomes hysterical and the nurse is really taken aback. Like the patient's like, let me out of here, get me my clothes, do not touch me. Well, come to find out there's a mistake in the medical record. And the nurse was preparing the patient for a hysterectomy. And the patient came in for like a nose job. So the patient's hysterical. The nurse is like, this is ridiculous. This is, she's furious. And she comes to find me, her leader. And she's like telling me her story. Admissions can't manage the way I have a paper bag and they're idiots. And if I did my job, like they did their job and she's venting, venting, venting. Now most leaders would rush off to fix that with the patient. But a good leader, I think a modern leader, I said, well, wait a minute. Take a deep breath. Just reset your sympathetic nervous system. Answer me a question. If you were great right now, what would great look like? And she paused and she's like, if I were great, I'd be back in the room. And she knew exactly what to be doing. And all I need to do is say, then go be great. And she did, because here's the life hack that most people don't understand about how your mind works you can be in low self or high self, just not at the same time. When you're in low self, you're seeing the world through lens of ego. You are judging, not helping you are the victim. When you're in high self, you're seeing all these possibilities of how you could have impact. Low self, you're using the smallest part of your intelligence. High self, you're using all of your intelligence. How do you get from low self to high self? The simple act of self-reflection. How do I get you from ego to high self? I ask you a question because it's impossible to vent and self-reflect at the same time. So as a skilled leader, I don't jump into the ego story of, this is going to be a hit for my business. I jump into the moment that says, I need to call you to greatness so that we are approaching this issue with all of our intelligence in partnership, up to and including apologizing to the client or the patient and, and fixing it. Right now, people get into taking action out of low self before they've properly even heightened their awareness of all the portals, all the places they could go to access um, innovation or help is the number one thing that keeps us out of innovation is employees making mistakes and leaders fixing it.
1: You know, I love this because this is the inside track to getting people to a higher level. It really and, is. And self-reflection the is the inside track. Well, here, So here's the thing that I noticed though, is that when you ask the question, I call these uh, like a turning point where somebody goes from black to white, like in a second. And, and you, it's put, a light switch. It's like a little light switch on yeah, your forehead yeah. that you can it's, just flip up. And you took that nurse uh, out of, uh, you know, out of anger to a new consciousness, like in a second, and a simple question did that, you know, what would a great person do right now? And then go do it. What are some other awesome questions that, you know, that make that happen? Because that is a cool, cool concept.
2: There's, we call it, you know, my Ted talk, I did three questions that will change your life. And in this act of self-reflection is the ultimate drama diffuser, which is, In a minute, how you can eliminate this great waste, right? That would take you 20 minutes of venting and just put that person right back into play. So another question I love to ask is, what do you know for sure? Because people vent and they their stress isn't from their reality, it's from their story. So somebody will come in and they're like, well, the client's trying to get away with this and they're trying to lowball us and they're they're gonna make all of these requests, and you know how this is gonna play out, and this is where this is gonna end up, and we're gonna end up losing the contract. I'm like, What do you know for sure? Well, the client called wants me to call him back. (laughs) (laughs) Then go call him back, right? So most of the time when people come in, they come in with their story and they're super stressed. And when I ask them, what do you know for sure? It releases the ego's grip on their view of the world, which is a victim. So like somebody came in and they're like, my boss is a micromanager. He treats me like a child. I need to confront him and to you know, tell him to quit micromanaging. I'm like, your boss is a micromanager. Is that true? Can you possibly know that to be true? What do you know for sure? And she goes, well, he micromanages me. I go, what does he do? It came down to, he called her three times a day and checked on her project statuses. And she's like, he treats me like a child. I'm like, how much budget does he give you? Well, he gives me $3 million. They <laughs> don't usually give children $3 million. Like, Here's what she came down to. That one question took a boss who micromanaged her and treated her like a child. I said, just meditate with that one question. it will set you free. She had a boss who preferred more detail than she liked to give. That was her big problem.
1: For once you frame it like that, it's pretty simple to reconcile You know, that maybe have a discussion. You know, gee, you seem to like more detail than I am comfortable providing, you know?
2: how can I give you what you need? Or how can I increase your confidence in me? But most people, when they're in low self and they're venting, they're, the problem's unsolvable because it's like, there's a horrible boss involved who's a villain and they're the victim. And any suggestion you make won't work because you know they know it won't. So that one question, like even in my personal life, like my ex-husband is trying to steal my boys from me and violate the custody agreement. And when I asked that question, like, well, what do I know for sure? He's a dad asking for an extra day with his kids over Thanksgiving. They, that one question changes
1: everything. So that's an instant light bulb. Well, you know no. what? A part of it is just listening as an outsider. It's rational.
2: It's rational. There's it's no applying emotion. logic to emotion.
1: Yeah. There's no emotion in the answer. And you're making it very rational. You know, another thing that this makes me think, I think that grownups are just big children. Every single one of us, and this is not anyone in particular, me included, we all have a little kid inside of us that's just kind of like, you know, yapping on our shoulder, whispering in our ear, totally. uh, telling us some stuff. And,
2: and that's why if you don't know how your mind works, you'll be listening to that, that we call it the ego, that constant narrator of corrupted data they're out to get me. Nobody likes me. This is a trick. Um, be very careful. Don't trust that person. Like if you ask yourself, like, what do I know for sure? It gets you back into
1: kind of an adult view of the world. So, all right. So a therapist might spend a year analyzing why you think this way. A your, bad your, therapist your situation <laughs> doesn't care about that. I don't it care. Just, it just like flips the switch and says, look, forget about whatever your baggage is. What do you know for sure? And let's just talk about that.
2: Because it doesn't matter where your baggage comes from. There are no new stories. If I played the ego tape in all of our heads, um, they're all the same. It, you, it may have come from a different circumstance, but the ego is the ego and it has been for 2000 years of writing about the ego. You know, another question I use a ton to get people to stop judging and start helping is what are you doing to help or if it's for me, how can I help? You know, I have somebody come into my office and they're complaining about it and it has screwed up this data conversion and it's a mess and Karen, their leader, is a nut job. And, and I just stop it. I go, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. What did you do to help? And the person's like, well, what do you mean? What did I do to help? I'm like, our colleagues in it are struggling. What did you do to help? And even to the point where people who work for me on the back of their badge have a question, what can I do to help? And whenever they're judging somebody, I insist they ask that question. It's just instant behavior modification. They come in. I go, who are you mad at? Karen, great. Let's go find Karen. Karen, Tammy was just in my office sharing her love and concern for your, her colleagues in IT. She has a question. Go ahead, Tammy. And Tammy goes to the IT person, what's one thing I could do right now that would help? And I said, as a leader, a micro-boundary... That I said all the time with language, people come in and they're like, we got three patients dumped on us. And I say, "Um, let me translate. We have three new admissions. How do we handle new admissions? What's the process? And so I'm just constantly helping them ego bypass jump from that low self to high self. And, and self-reflection is the ultimate drama diffuser. And it's this technique that I've done for years. I've written about that now people are trying and it's blowing their minds. It's absolutely a life hack and inside track that every leader needs to know how to lead self-reflection to move from ego to beyond ego.
1: So you're, so you're sort of saying that that the reason that people behave the way they do is less important than just changing the behavior.
2: It's absolutely unimportant. Everybody has the human condition. The reason people behave this way is because they are human. They don't know how their mind works and they don't know how the world works. And so you can teach them how their mind works by flipping them into high self. And then you can teach them how the world works with some good business discipline.
1: This is an awesome discussion. I'm so uh, grateful for you sharing this material. I think that uh, therapists would probably worry they're going to be put out of business, though, that they're going to take a guy (laughs) who they would normally work with for a year and in five minutes, the person is resolved. Not every situation. Not
2: every condition. You know, some people have trauma, which is different. I mean, if your toggle switch is broken and you can't easily flip, you might need therapy. But for most of us, we can be in the same day and low self and high self, you know, never at the same time. But um, for most of us, our toggle switch works but I tell you what, I, I started as a therapist and what this is based in, is called cognitive behavior therapy and not all therapists want to work with you for years at a time. A lot of therapists want to teach you how your mind works and how you can move beyond it. And, you know, but Joel, like most people, they've lived with this mind their whole life and they don't know how it works. <laughs> most people are blown away when I tell them that thing up there that's constantly thinking is not you, it's your ego. And they're like, What? And I'm like, you're not the thinker. You're the observer of your thinking. And you're getting played by your ego all the time whenever you believe everything you think without question. They don't believe it. So like, go, okay, tomorrow morning when you wake up, notice, do you wake up and say, I shall start thinking now? Or do you wake up and you're already being thought? And the answer is you're already being thought. But most people think that's them. They think they're the thinker. And if they thought it, it must be true. That little bit, of, of advice, my team will be standing in front of me very upset about something. And as they talk, they're like, I'm just believing my own thinking right now, aren't I? And I'm like, yes. And then, like, question your thinking. They're like, I'll just go call the client back, <laughs> find out what they need. Because so we, let's, we let's spend all this
1: time in kind of story. Let's talk for a second about how do uh, companies employ these techniques? You know, I, I mean, listen, take one little question, one little question. Uh, those can help in specific situations but what does the aggregate look like in other words if a company wanted to really be different what are what are great companies what's the inside track and how are those companies profiting from the inside track i mean how does the, how do those things work together because it's all really about we talk about profit from the inside how does it work Sure.
2: Um, Profitable companies are really taking a look at the traditional leadership philosophies they're teaching their leaders and the expectations they have of their employees. Because in my research, drama increased from two hours a day to two and a half hours a day per person in the last 10 years. And when you look at That number, you're thinking, how could it be increasing? We're spending more money in training and development. We're spending more money having webinars and learning. And the reason it's increasing is we're spending more money in learning, but we're teaching Um, philosophies that aren't based in evidence of human behavior. So the first thing companies um, are doing is they're changing their whole curriculum in leadership development and their whole DNA around leadership. And they're also systematically changing their viewpoint of engagement to really be all about shared accountability. So in my book, No Ego, I talk about the change management philosophies we have are broken, They need to be modernized to business readiness. The engagement philosophies we have in our HR and our companies is broken. They have to be updated to um, accountability metrics. We look at processes and we work on the process, but we don't work on accountability to the process. So once you, you know the problems, and uh, what people do with us large scale is, in our organization, is we bring in a whole different reality-based curriculum. We train and certify their people to deliver it internally. We use our own engagement survey that sorts the results based on the accountability levels of the employees so that you listen to the right people. Um, and we train up the employees. We show them how to hire different. We show them how to really create a different culture. Um, and we do that if they hire us. And then we give it all the way for free if they follow us on social media, our YouTube channel, our books.
1: Um, we tell you how to do it, how to really approach leadership differently. One of the things that I think about is a, a lot of our leadership, uh, the way we run our schools, uh, a lot of things in this country are, are just they're old. The systems are old. They're military. They're uh, they're from 200 years ago. They've barely evolved over time. I was they're by- not
2: evidence based. They are a few key people had philosophies that everybody followed without question. They aren't evidence based. Most of them that we're teaching the way we're teaching school is that
1: even, even if they worked a hundred years ago, the world has changed. Yeah. The needs of the output has changed and the, the means of uh, production has changed. I mean, so many things have changed and I don't know that we're changing with it. And it really opens the door for some new ideas. And that's, what's beautiful about podcasts like this is that we bring new ideas and, and people who like these ideas can can ask for help and they can solicit new experts to help them think about things in new ways. But they're contrary to things that we may have learned as children. And those things are hard to change in your mind.
2: You know, and and we have a lot of tolerance for the human condition, you know, even after we teach this, people won't do this perfectly, they'll screw this up daily. But once you have the awareness, you can return to a new center. It's like once you see a magic trick, and you figure out how it's done, you can't ever go back and see it like you did, when you were caught in the illusion of it. It's like, we, we just are trying to reveal some new truths, so that you can modernize your approach as a leader.
1: I think the, i think the big theme here is that uh that we really need to modernize a lot of our thinking i agree john absolutely agree wow this is really uh it's incredible really that such simple things can make such a big difference well side this has been uh, just extraordinary i really appreciate your input and some of your thoughts very thought-provoking uh, and this really provides people a way to consider uh, the inside track on on behavior and the way that they deal with their people and Uh, listen and and then profit from it, which is really what profit from the inside is all about. So thank you very much for sharing. We will put your contact information and some biographical information about you in the show notes. Anything you want to add before we wind down? No, it's just always a pleasure
2: to uh, be part of any work you're doing, Joel. I appreciate it.
1: Well, Silas, and thank you very much. And we'll stay in touch. and, And thanks for sharing with us. You bet. You've been listening to Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. For more insights and to learn more, visit joelblock.com. How about a shout out and a giant thanks to my podcast producer, David Wolf, and his team at Podcast and Radio Networks. Profit from the Inside simply wouldn't be what it is without David and his team. For more information or to learn how you can launch and produce your own podcast, reach out to podcastandradio.com.
0: Produced by Audovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.